You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Judgment without mercy will be shown to those who are not merciful because we're being judged by the law of mercy, not law. What a Savior. Don't you just hear Jesus as you just imagine Him on the cross? And I mean, here He is. He hasn't done anything wrong. You talk about being offended and being wrong. He hangs on the cross, shedding His blood, and He cries out. Before He breathes His last, He says, Father, forgive them, they'll know. Man, you talk about love. If you're offended by someone, how do you react? Or rather, how do you retaliate? Typically, we want to jump into the whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth business and get what we feel is justified in receiving from someone else. But as the Apostle Paul writes to Philemon, and as Jesus so humbly demonstrated on the cross, that's not the way of a Christian. Pastor Danny reminds you today that anyone who professes to follow Jesus should always act like he did when facing offense. Turn the other cheek. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, with today's edition of The Living Word. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. Every one of us. You know what's the most amazing thing about that? Even after becoming a Christian, that's still in our old self, our very sinful nature, that's our tendency. Now, this blows your mind when you stop to think about it. (laughs) Blows your mind, because... When Moses asked the Lord to reveal himself to him, and I, I want to see you, Lord, and uh, he says to him, well, you can't really see me and really handle that, you know. Now, of course, one day we'll see him, but that's after the sacrifice that Jesus offered on the cross to pay for our sin. But even so, is, is Exodus chapter 34, I'm just going to read it for you. God tells Moses, well, look, I'm going to put you in a cleft of a rock, and then I'm going to turn my back, and I'm going to pass by. I'm going to pass by. And God does that. And then God, as he passes by Moses, he declares something about himself. And here's what he says. Exodus 34, verse 6, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's our God. That's who He is. And not just to the Christian, to the non-Christian. You see, in that sense, we are all children of God. Now, 
We need to be born again to be saved and not face damnation. We understand that. Nevertheless, every human being has a creator. Hebrews encourages us to f- submit to the father of our spirits and live. You see, we're spirit beings having a human experience. When your human body dies, you're going to live on somewhere. See, God created us, body, soul, and spirit. Isn't it amazing? I mean, isn't it incredible that such a good God who only wants to save us, bless us, shower us with grace and mercy, and yet our tendency is to run away, to rebel, to not submit. doesn't make sense, but that's our nature. That's what sin's done to us. God is certainly the most gracious, loving, wonderful master anybody could ever have, yet despite his goodness, man chooses to run from him. Let me say another quick word on that. And for some people, you really need to hear this. This is God for you, personally. You know, some children growing up in a home, and they can't wait to get out on their own, can't wait to get out from under mom's and dad's coattails. They want to be free. Listen, biblically, you understand this. Freedom is not the absence of authority. Romans tells us nobody lives to himself and nobody dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Even if you're not a Christian, you die. You'll, you'll stand before your Creator. Freedom, freedom is not the absence of authority. Freedom is recognizing God-ordained authority in my life and then saying, Lord, I know that's from you. I'll submit because I know that's, that's the place of blessing. And the ultimate authority, of course. The ultimate authority is our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet our tendency is to run. Anybody here maybe running from God? Maybe you've been running. Onesimus ran to Rome because he thought he could mix in with the crowd. You know, you can be here and think, well, I'll just mix in with the crowd. Oh, yes. You can run from God, but you cannot hide. And he loves you enough. He's the hound of heaven, and he's going to chase you, and he's going to come after you because he wants to save you. You understand? From yourself and from the devil. I don't know who you are. I don't know how long you've been running, but don't you want to right now as the Holy Spirit is reaching down in your soul and your heart and drawing you to Jesus Christ, don't you want to stop running? Come on. Don't you want to come home to a heavenly Father that wants to cancel your debt? forgive you, bury the past. Lord, in the deepest sea, don't you want to come home to a heavenly Father who just wants to shower you with grace and mercy and then take you to a home in heaven that you can't even comprehend? Come on, if that's you, you pray it from your heart. I'm just leading you in the prayer. You're praying to Him. You pray it from your heart. He's listening. Say, dear heavenly Father, forgive me. Lord Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Forgive me. Come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Now help me to live for you the rest of this life. In Jesus' name. You prayed that prayer. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you. If you have another Christian in your life, tell them today. You need to do that. We know Onesimus went back, and I have to assume when he got back, Philemon did more than what Paul was even asking. And that's our challenge. Finally, just in the last few minutes I have, look, if you're breathing, 
If you're breathing over the last few days, you've been offended by somebody, more than likely. Uh, if you've been married more than a day, look, come on now. Even the best Christian marriage has struggles. Even the best Christian marriage, because we still got a sin nature. Marriage is one of the greatest tests of Christianity to me. And the longer you're married, the greater the test. That's just a fact. It's just the truth. Some of us have been wronged, terribly wronged, by a husband, by a wife, by a former husband, by a former wife, by a son, by a daughter, by a mom, by a dad. Oh, my goodness, the terrible things that sometimes happen to children when they're young. Awful. Go with me one last scripture, okay? One last scripture. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 Verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, well, you've won your brother over. You're back in fellowship again. If he doesn't listen, take witnesses. If they don't listen, if they don't li doesn't listen then, take it to the leadership of the church, and then the church will handle it appropriately. That's the loose thing he's saying there. That's, that's the summary of it. And in light of that, uh, verse 21, and Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now the rabbis taught, and he's talking about seven times in a day. The rabbis taught three times in a day. That, and you're really spiritual if you can do it three times in one day. Same brother. So Jesus is more than doubling it. And he's thinking he's really spiritual. Lord, seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77. In some translations, 70 times seven. That's not a mathematical equation. The message is clear. You keep forgiving him because you're to live a life of forgiveness. That's what he's saying. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 talents, and he was brought to him. 10,000 talents, that's more than he could pay. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt into slavery. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant, who had been forgiven more than he could repay, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement. This is, how you're, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The meaning of the parable is not difficult to deduce. The one who had the debt that's so massive he can't ever repay it, and yet he was shown mercy and forgiven, that's you and me. That's those who have put faith in Christ. And that same one had been forgiven a debt that he could never, ever repay goes out and won't forgive someone of a much lesser debt. Now, with that, you need to understand, 
I need to understand. We need to understand. There's no offense anybody can do to us anything in life, and some terrible things can happen to us through other human beings, but there's no offense against us that even comes close to our offense against God. Not even close. Ain't even in the same ballpark. What a challenge we have. Ephesians 4.32, bear with one another and put up with one another. Forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. James chapter 2, you judge with mercy because judgment without mercy will be shown to those who are not merciful because we're being judged by the law of mercy, not law. What a Savior. Don't you just hear Jesus as you just imagine Him on the cross? And I mean, here He is. He hasn't done anything wrong. You talk about being offended and being wronged. And he hangs on the cross, shedding his blood, and he cries out. Before he breathes his last, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Man, you talk about love. (laughs) Wow. And those that had come to know him and the Holy Spirit had entered into them, and now the love of Christ is flowing through them. You see Stephen, the first martyr of the early church, and they're pelting him with stones. And before he dies, it says he fell on his knees, and he cried out, Father, don't hold this sin against them. You find Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We just looked at it a few weeks ago. Alexander, the pagan metal worker that did him a great deal of harm, he said, the Lord will repay him. I'm not going to retaliate. And then he stood in his first court appearance there. He said, all the Christians deserted him. May it not be held against them. That's my challenge. That's your challenge. Now let me tell you very, very quickly. Very, please don't lose me here. This is such an important message. What happens? Even as a Christian, okay, as a Christian, if I choose not to forgive the way I'm forgiven, what happens? Number one, I'm imprisoned by my Heavenly Father. I'm given over to the jailers to be tortured. The sore is left open. I can't free myself from the past. I live in the past. That same hurt, that hurt just remains. It festers. It, it just, it, I, I don't have any peace. I don't have any joy. I'm jailed tortured. Corey Ten Boom, all those years in the concentration camp, her and her sister, her sister died in the camp. She survived and became a woman who God used greatly around the world. And one day as she's speaking, she turned and there's one of the former guards that had treated her and her sister so terribly. And the emotion that flowed through her initially was not positive, was not a heavenly emotion. And this guard reached out to shake her hand. He had become a Christian. And she says, woodenly, mechanically, I reached my hand out and put my hand in that guard's hand. And she didn't have any emotion pushing her to do it. She did it out of her will. And she said at that moment, when she touched his hand, the Spirit of God flowed love through her being. It was supernatural. Supernatural. And then she made this statement about that experience. She said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and realize the prisoner was you. Another thing happens. If I don't forgive... By faith, by an act of the will. As I've been forgiven, my fellowship with my Heavenly Father, my fellowship with my Savior is hindered. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, unless you forgive your brother, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. That means you're hindered in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Third thing that happens, if I don't forgive as I've been forgiven, I allow ungodly attitudes to fester deep within. And over time... I can become a bitter person. 
bitter against the person that's offended me or the people that have offended me. That's why Hebrews encourages us, chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Try to live at peace with all men and see that no one misses the grace of God and that a root of bitterness defiled. I can become bitter if I don't forgive. And then fourth, I give Satan a foothold in my life. And a foothold becomes a stronghold if not dealt with. Foothold becomes a stronghold. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, In your anger do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And do not give the devil a foothold. December the 7th, 1941 at 7.55 a.m., on a cloudless Sunday, the Japanese hit Pearl Harbor. In two hours, 2,403 Americans were dead. 1,178 wounded. 169 U.S. aircraft totally destroyed. Three massive ships sunk and 18 others damaged. The attack was led by a 39-year-old Top Gun pilot, Japanese pilot, named Mitsuo Fushida. His life hero was Adolf Hitler. He was the one that initially cried out, Torah, 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 as they boarded those planes and set out for Honolulu. Devastated. Thousands of men in a whole nation. Maybe you have relatives that died in Pearl Harbor. Terrible. And then our response, America's response, was two atomic bombs, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, as bad as it was at Pearl Harbor, imagine being a Japanese and having a family member live in one of those cities. Wow. After the war was over, Mitsuo Fushida was besieged with memories of death. And so he decided to become a farmer. He didn't have a history of farming, but he thought, I just need to get away. And he bought a farm outside of Osaka, Japan. And as a farmer, he had time to think. And with memories fresh in his mind and he couldn't get rid of, he decided he was going to write a book. And it was going to be entitled, No More Pearl Harbors. And so Mitsuo Fushida looked throughout his own country in Japan for some principle upon which he could write his book, but he couldn't find the principle in any of the religions of his country. He sought the rest of the world philosophies, and he couldn't find a philosophy upon which he could write his book. And after time passed, the war being over, Japanese prisoners that was in, were imprisoned in America began to return home. And he noticed in a newspaper a name that he was very familiar with. They had been good friends, a lieutenant that had been in prison in a prisoner of war camp in America, Japanese prisoner. And he determined he was going to go meet him. He did meet him. They talked about many things. And then finally, after discussing quite a few things, he asked him the question, how were you treated in that American prisoner of war camp? And he said, well, you know, there were struggles, but overall we were treated very well. And then he began to tell Fushida about this young lady, about 20 years old, Margaret Covell. She went by Peggy. And she would come regularly to the camp and minister to these Japanese prisoners. I mean, in all kinds of ways. She'd minister to their sick. She'd bring them magazines and books. She'd do everything she could to help them. One day, one of the Japanese prisoners asked her why she was so concerned about Japanese prisoners of war. And they were shocked by her answer. They were shocked. She said, my parents were killed by the Japanese army. My parents were missionaries in the Philippines when the Japanese army invaded the Philippines. They initially escaped and went north 
to the mountainous area north of Luzon, and for a while they were safe, but they were found out, they were discovered, they were interrogated, and they were accused of being spies. They sincerely said, we're not spies, we're missionaries, we're trying to share the love of Jesus Christ, but Japanese wouldn't buy it, and they executed them. Just before they executed them, they honored a request, would you give us 30 minutes so we could read our Bible? And they did. Their daughter Peggy found out after their death. Initially, she was um, filled with indignation, feelings even of hatred toward the Japanese. And then she began to think of the selfless life her mom and dad lived, going to be missionaries in the Philippines, and finding out about their request that was honored, the reading of the Bible 30 minutes before they knew certain death. And she came to be convinced that even before these Japanese took their lives that her mom and dad forgave their enemies. And the Lord so moved her. Oh, Lord, help me. She chose the path of love and forgiveness. And to show her sincerity, she began to go regularly to the prisoner of war camp and minister to these Japanese prisoners of war. Fushida heard the story from the lieutenant and he, he was taken aback and he thought, can this perhaps be the principle upon which I'll write my book? Right after this, he was summoned to Tokyo by General Douglas MacArthur. He gets off the train. There just happened to be a Christian standing out at the train station handing out pamphlets. They were Christian tracts. He took one. He read it. It was the story of General Jacob DeShazer, who was a pilot under General Jimmy Doolittle, and they launched an attack on Tokyo from the USS Hornet, April 18, 1942. Their mission was successful uh, in the bombing, but because of the long distance they had to travel, DeShazer's plane ran out of gas. It went down. He was captured by the Japanese, and for 40 months, he was a prisoner of war. He says he almost went insane because of the hatred and brutality in that camp. He was in solitary confinement the whole time, 40 months. He began asking for a Bible. Finally, he got a Bible. He began reading intensely. And on June 8, 1944, Jacob DeShazer received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And after receiving Christ, he determined that if he lived long enough till the war was over and he was released, he'd return to the U.S., study the Bible for a period of time, and go back to Japan and share the love of Christ, which he did. He became an evangelist. Boshida reads that track, and now there's two people he knows of that have forgiven their enemies. He goes and buys a New Testament, and he begins reading the New Testament. And in September of 1949, eight years after Pearl Harbor, as Mitsuo Foshida is reading from the Gospel of Luke, he's reading, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He bowed his knee. He received Christ as Lord and Savior. And in time, he became an evangelist in Japan and in America. He led thousands of people to Christ. He and Jacob DeShazer did some evangelistic meetings together. What a story. He finally wrote his book. I read it yesterday morning. So you know it was an easy read. And I'm still emotional about it. He didn't name it No More Pearl Harbors. He named his book From Pearl Harbor to Golgotha. They later changed the name from Pearl Harbor, Calvary. I don't know what wrongs have been done to you in life, but every one of us have been wrong. Every one of us. And as a Christian, our daily challenge 
our daily challenge is to forgive others as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Philemon on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at ccfstpete.church. Once you're there, just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. In addition to that, we'd love to meet you in person. So if you're ever in the St. Petersburg area, please feel free to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. We're also live streaming our services for those who are staying at home or live further away. So please don't let distance stop you from worshiping with us. You can find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But be sure to join Pastor Danny Hodges next time for more from the book of Philemon right here on The Living Word.